Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod uh, and today's roundtable. Well, the Three Ring Circus is back in town, which may be good for entertainment purposes, not necessarily good for the country. In the main ring, the impeachment inquiry rolls on with explosive testimony this week from William Taylor, Trump's ambassador to Ukraine, who told members of Congress, damn right, no doubt about it, there was a quid pro quo given Ukraine military aid for political dirt on Joe Biden. Meanwhile, in another ring, Donald Trump does a fan dance on Turkey. After ordering all American troops out, he gives Turkey a green light to invade Kurdish-held territory in Syria. Then he slaps sanctions on Turkey when they do so. Then he lifts the sanctions when Turkey has driven all Kurds out of the area, at which point Turkey and Russia agree to share control of the former Kurdish territory, and Donald Trump declares it a victory for the U.S. Go figure. And in ring number three, Joe Biden continues to ride high, Elizabeth Warren snipping at his heels, Bernie looks like he's sinking, while Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg show signs of breaking into the top deer. Wow, a lot to talk about and here to tackle it all, Jason Dick, Deputy Editor of CQ Roll Call. Hi, Jason. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? Good. Welcome back. Uh, joining us for the first time, Niambi Carter is a uh, from Howard University, Assistant Professor of Political Science. Welcome. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me, Bill. Great to be here, to have you here. And Chris Liu joining us again, former Deputy Secretary of Labor under President Obama and Senior Fellow at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. Hello, Chris. Good to be here. Good to see you, too. Well, you know, politics and uh, the work of the nation's capital came to a standstill yesterday uh, as uh, the... Uh, House and Congress gathered to pay tribute to the legacy and life of Congressman Elijah Cummings. Chairman Elijah Cummings, here is Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Elijah was truly a master of the House. He respected its history, and in it, he helped shape America's future. I have called him our North Star, our guide to a better future for our children. Elijah has said that our children are our living messengers to a future we will never see. For the children, he wanted a future worthy of their aspirations and true to the values of America. It was in defense of the children at the border that Elijah said, we can do better. Nyambi, the first African-American legislator, a public official to lie in state in the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, pretty amazing. I think it's a testament to his legacy and the way that people respected Elijah Cummings because up until the day he died, I mean, he was working. And I think um, that kind of commitment and dedication is what uh, Nancy Pelosi and many others are acknowledging um, with this honor. Uh, in the state, I mean, it, you would think that um, it would be more common of a practice mm -hmm. considering folks like Shirley Chisholm and others who've been um, Ron Dellums and others. But um, unfortunately, uh, it's not. That said, I think this um, 
this death, which was a real blow, I think, for Democrats, but also for the people of Maryland, um, is something that we'll be grappling with for a while, um, in part because he had such a crucial role in, in, in this impeachment moment that we're in, yeah. um, but also was just such a fierce advocate um, for the folks in his district. And Chris, is there something special about Elijah Cummings, I felt? I mean, you know, I met a lot of members of the House over the years, but with him, you know, I always had the sense I was in the presence of somebody who is a, a great leader. Yeah. You know, earlier in my career, I, uh, for eight years, I was the deputy chief counsel of the oversight committee and Elijah Cummings was the chairman. He was a junior member when I was working there. And, you know, being the chairman of the oversight committee is one of the hardest jobs. You have to be courageous because you're investigating powerful people. You have to understand that when you're investigating people, they'll investigate you. You have to have a prosecutor's mentality, yet you have to be fair. And he was able to balance all that with his incredible dignity and grace and I think about the moment from earlier this summer when the president attacked him, attacked Baltimore. Cummings didn't respond with a fiery tweet. He really extended the olive branch and said, you know, Mr. President, we met after you came into office and, you know, we were going to focus on some of these problems on the inner city and in the inner city. And I still want to work with you on that. And that was, you know, I think it just shows him as both a gentleman and as a statesman. Yeah, a real class act. And and uh, Jason, uh, it his death does have an impact on the impeachment inquiry, right? It, it certainly does. I mean, the the I mean, there will be, you know, a process of selecting a new leader of the oversight committee. I mean, a lot of the the depositions and the investigative work, of course, is done by some, you know, really hardworking staff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, like the, the impeachment inquiry will go on. But there is a, um, you know, as, as, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but I mean, he had a moral center of gravity that is very difficult to replace. And and I think that one of the things that certainly made him unique, you know, in, in, in this, as you described it uh, in your opening bill, a, a circus is that Cummings was the, the sort of rare public official who was as charismatic from a distance when he was speaking to people in a, in a public setting as he was up close. Uh, and and I, I find that 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 is an increasingly rare sort of thing. I mean, there are people who are better one on one than they are in, in front of a crowd. He was comfortable with everybody and he was comfortable wielding a gavel uh, over in the uh, in the Rayburn building. And he was very comfortable walking the streets, talking to a guy with a, using a cardboard box as a hat, you know, in West Baltimore. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was just I mean, he was just an extraordinary person who. Uh, made you believe that public service was actually something worth uh, undertaking. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know how you replace that. There's a lot, lot of really good people who want to be members of Congress or working for the staff or and believe in what they're doing. But uh, his, his, his uh, loss is, is a big blow. And meanwhile, the impeachment inquiry, uh, despite some interruptions, which we'll get to, uh, does roll on with um, significant testimony this week from William Taylor, um, whom we should point out, is not some Democratic wild card activist, but actually Donald Trump's ambassador to Ukraine, who was uh, recruited for the job by Secretary of State Pompeo. Uh, his testimony seemed to stun Washington, Chris. A game changer? Uh, it is a game changer, and it's a game changer for a lot of reasons. I mean, we've had uh, Fiona Hill, we've had Marie Ivanovich, we've had Gordon Sundland. Uh, I think Bill Taylor probably came closest to connecting the president to this quid pro quo. And I think that connection will become even clearer next week when Tim Morrison, who's the current NSC uh, director for Russia, testifies. 
And and I think you see kind of this alarm go off and, you know, the, the old adage that if you, you know, you, if you have the facts on your side, you argue facts. And if you don't have the facts, you know, you, you argue pound positive, the table. Pound the, pound the table. And so I think they're left pounding the table at this point because, um, you know, and, and, I, and I think Republicans need to be careful. I mean, they've asked for transparency and we can have a broader conversation about what the protocol and precedent has been. But Bill Taylor, uh, you know, West Point grad, Vietnam War veteran, has done almost 50 years um, serving this country. Uh, boy, that would be a pretty powerful witness mm-hmm. to put up on the stand if he testifies publicly. Yeah, and Niambi, he said that he was on a phone call and he was told mm-hmm. by uh, a, an OMB official, hey, the president's given the orders. We heard it from Mike Mo- or um, Mulvaney, uh, acting chief of staff still, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> that there'll be no aid to Ukraine until they agree to this investigation. Quid pro quo. Absolutely. Smoking gun. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a smoking gun, but it certainly is, is, is putting the timeline together. Who knew what and when, right, is one of the questions that has been there. And I think Bill Taylor said, like, I would not take this job if you know, these things were in place. And he says that I think Sondland said, as far as he knew that there was no quid pro quo, that this was in fact unrelated events. Um, And only for him to get there and find out that in fact, this money is being withheld. All monies, this $400 million is being withheld unless the Ukraine opens these investigations and then has this public pronouncement about these investigations. And I think that was the really important part of this. It wasn't just that he asked for this to happen. He wanted to also embarrass um, Joe Biden uh, through this connection to his son Hunter Biden in this Burisma Energy mm-hmm. Company investigation. So I think um, Bill Taylor is the person who is saying that all of these things were talked about and at least seem to be um, pretty well known by Donald Trump and, and those who work under him and they were communicating that to him as part of his, his mission and his directive. So Jason, the president responded in form True to form by calling him human scum and a never Trumper and a never Trumper and so forth. And, and I mean, this is, uh, you know, as, as Chris said, I mean, like when you're when you can't argue the facts, you pound the table, you, you know, impugn the motives of your of your, uh, you know, opponents. I mean, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty established pattern for for the president. Right. Well, and and by the way, his supporters. So he had a meeting at the White House with Republicans. <clears throat> And said, you guys have to be tougher. I mean, I'm out there all by myself fighting this fight. Come on. You got to, you know, do some stuff here to defend me. And the very next day, uh, a couple of dozen Republicans storm the uh, skiff, the secure area where the three committees are holding, have gathered to interview the deputy secretary of defense, uh, claiming that they, as Republicans, had been shut out of this process because these these depositions were being held in private. Chris, you mentioned you were there uh, yeah. as a deputy counsel for a former House oversight now. hearing. Um, is this the first time depositions <laughs> have ever been held in private? I, I've taken dozens of depositions uh, I, as a counsel on the House Oversight Committee. Uh, not a single one was attended by a non-committee member. That is part of the not only committee procedures, it is the House procedures as well. So this arg- argument about transparency is really just a lot of smoke and mirrors. I mean, let, let's be clear. 
you know, and again, I think the number is either 47 or 48. 45, I think. 45 Republicans are able to attend these depositions. They're members of those three committees. Including some of the stormers. Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) including Jim Jordan. Including the vice president's brother, Greg. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the majority, I'm sorry, the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, has access to yeah, these depositions. Right. Uh, the, the, um, Adam Schiff has said we're going to make all these depositions public. Um, and, and let's also not overlook the fact that they walked into the skiff with their cell phones and having spent time in both the House skiff, the Senate skiff, and then the White House situation room. Uh, that's a huge, huge no no. And it's a massive security risk. Uh, and I think it just shows both their brazenness and uh, their lack of attention to details. By the way, I have a World Series ticket here if anybody knows what the SCIF, the SCIF, stands for. It's like specialized, compartmented. <laughs> Secure, compartmentalized. Something um, facility. <laughs> I don't know the I, yeah, I, I, information But I'm facility. glad I don't have yeah. to give away my World Series ticket. <laughs> I saw it the other day, and I, I, I just thought, oh, my God. That's what yeah. that's. So um, interesting. The It seems to me that... Chairman Schiff is doing everything by the rules. Um, Judge Napolitano, who's become my favorite person on Fox <laughs> News, uh, be informed- careful, Bill. He probably just signed his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he he does seem to call it fair uh, and what the law says. And he informed the host of Fox and Friends the other morning that don't be too critical of these closed door hearings. I read the House rules, Okay. <laughs> and as frustrating as it may be to have these hearings going on behind closed doors, the hearings over which Congressman Schiff is presiding, they are consistent with the rules. They can make any of the rules they want. Well, they can't change the rules. They follow the rules. And when were the rules written? Last, in January of 2015. And who signed them? John Boehner. And who enacted them? A Republican majority. Bingo, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> I mean, th- this is the. I mean, the. I, I like that. Um, you know, Trey Gowdy has been tr- trotted out, <laughs> the the chairman of the Benghazi Select Committee, as as this paragon of of you know, like the, the example was given that Daryl Issa, the former oversight and government reform chairman of the Republicans, tried to get in on, tried to sit in on some of the depositions during the Benghazi hearings, and Gowdy told him. No, the rules are the rules. And so this has been sort of this episode has been resurfaced. Yeah. It's, it's a great example. I mean, not, not to get into the, you know, but they did this and we're doing this. I mean, the really the rules are the rules. And I think that, you know, when when you saw this shift, uh, you know, a couple months ago of Nancy Pelosi making sure that Adam Schiff was going to be the person who was. Uh, conducting basically the the investigation was going to be coordinating it. I think a lot of people thought good because this is a, a former U.S. attorney. Uh, also, like not not and not just a mm-hmm. former U.S. attorney somewhere from, you know, uh, you know, a, a, some kind of backwater. I mean, he, you know, Southern California. You got ports of entry. You have like all kinds of crazy, complicated uh, cases to prosecute. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't really mess around uh, and and also knows prosecutorial protocol. And so, and we're seeing that, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing that this is being conducted in a way that befits a, a prosecutor or a former U.S. attorney. And, and a lot of the, you know, the things about process seem to be directed more at the public as opposed to, you know, and actually trying to change something. The Republicans know that, what the rules are, or right. some of them do, who knows. So now, as, as we've said, uh, the, the, we haven't heard anybody, none of these 24 Republicans who ever showed up and were complaining I took time out to defend the president's call because they can't, right? Again, mm-hmm. they're attacking the process. 
either the people who are conducting the investigation or the process itself. And for the president, he's been calling it a witch hunt. That wasn't bad enough. So this week he called it actually a lynching. Yeah, I mean, I think for many of us, that term gets thrown around all the time to talk about a lot of things. We heard Clarence Thomas use it. Um, we've heard it uh, in reference to this moment, but also even in impeachment uh, of Bill Clinton, um, that term was thrown around. And, you know, for me, as a person who studied lynching and read some of the really horrific details of of what a lynching is, this is not that. Right. I mean, I think we have to stop using that term so casually because what he's doing, at least rhetorically, is trying to frame himself as a victim because he's in a process that he doesn't like and it's not going in his favor. And so we see these people like Donald Trump and others who are sort of beating this drum of sort of white male victimhood because they don't like the way the country looks demographically, right? This was sort of um, the the Charleston shooter, uh, the guy who uh, murdered Heather Heyer in Charlottesville, right? That that moment was about um, something is being taken from us, right? This country is being taken from us. And in this moment, uh, the president doesn't like the process because it's something he can't control. It's somebody actually putting boundaries and rules um, on his behavior, which I think has been, uh, at least for me, um, out of control. And so calling something a lynching because you don't like it, right? Because it makes you feel bad because it's onerous. And yes, it's people digging around in parts of your life that you probably don't want to be made public um, is absurd and it's dangerous. And I think um, treating it like, oh, it's just hyperbolic uh, in this moment where you have hate crime sort of creeping up and we've seen, um, you know, the, the El Paso shooter and others who are using this same kind of language of being harmed because the world doesn't look the way they think it should or doesn't operate the way they think it should um, is is disgusting and really um, does a disservice to what lynching was because that was extra legal violence, right? That was without due process. These people are taking depositions to inquire about whether they're going to move forward with a process, right, um, to, to uh, make you face mm-hmm. up to the things you may have done. So I, I, I think this is, is more of what Donald Trump does best, right, which is deflect the conversation. So now we're talking about whether he's being lynched or not, procedurally at least, instead of Bill Taylor's um, actual testimony that I think was quite well, damning. Which, of course, is his hope to, de- Absolutely. to distract and to and I deflect. I think this is Republicans' to- hope, too, with storming sure. that room, like holding up the process. And now that's the story, not yeah. What was being said in that room? Right. So today's roundtable with uh, Jason Dick and Chris Liu and Niambi Carter uh, here on the uh, Bill Press Pod. A quick break. Good to have you with us today. And uh, we are here today thanks to the support of the Smart Union, the good members of the Smart Union. They all joined together, the sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation workers. Again, put them together, and it's the Smart Union under the leadership of President Joseph Sellers, providing a fair day's work for a fair day's wage, you bet. Check out their website at smart-union.org. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued 
at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to all of you. Welcome back to uh, our panelists, uh, Chris Liu and Jason Dick and Niamh B. Carter. So we have a new investigation underway today. Actually, um, someone is being investigated for committing crimes, breaking the law, a criminal investigation into the FBI. Yes, that's what Attorney General Bill Barr has launched uh, at the request, if not orders, of President Donald Trump. Chris, the FBI, criminals? Yeah, you know, I, I was scratching my head this morning. So, so, let's back up, I guess, make sure people understand. This is an investigation into how the Mueller or Comey slash Mueller investigation started, which Donald Trump says was a crime. Yeah, and, you know, this has been shipped off to the U.S. attorney in Connecticut. And I and it, what I'm trying to figure out, and you know, is to whether this is really a criminal investigation or it's really just giving that U.S. attorney uh, power to issue subpoenas and um, to try to compel more uh, information. But, you know, given the other press stories this week about how the president is ten of, intent on going after people like John Brennan and, and Clapper and Comey and others. And the whistleblower. Uh, and the whistleblower as well. Um, you know, just pulling back a second, I mean, leaving aside the propriety of investigating uh, your your opponents, um, what this does to the morale of the FBI, which is, you know, in charge with doing some really important things to keep America safe. Um, and I think the, the overall harm that's being done to the federal civil service, you know, we've talked about climate change scientists, State Department, obviously what's happening uh, right now with Ukraine is, I think, really um, stressing the uh, career diplomats. I mean, I think this is going to take as generations to recover from. Yeah. But so, Jason, it's it seems like ancient history now, but we've heard the story and Robert Mueller laid out the story in his book, which we've all read, his report, which we've all read. You know, the FBI hears they're informed that this Papadopoulos is over there in Europe bragging about he's getting dirt on Hillary from some Russian informant. And they started looking into it. That was a crime. Uh I, I'll I'll leave that to uh, to the U.S. Attorney in, in Connecticut, but it it is I mean it, it's impossible to separate the you know the propriety of, of investigating your your you know political opponents from from this. I mean th- this is one of those things. It's it's kind of like you know of course you know you want the FBI you want to give the FBI the ability to police itself and to make sure that they're following their own internal procedures and that they're not overstepping their boundaries. I mean, I mean, we're all to a certain degree, I think around this table, civil libertarians, and we want, uh, you know, a, a check on uh, unbridled federal or police powers. But this does seem to, you know, if, if nothing else, to be a, an attempt to chill any sort of efforts to investigate anything further. So it's, it's you know, it, so let's say being charitable, this is BS, right? And, 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 and that, I mean, yeah. out of a wild, you know, theory, uh, that, that this is simply giving, as Chris said, the, the U.S. attorney like some extra powers, but they know that this is not going anywhere. It still sends, it's, it's kind of like being audited, you know, right? I mean, it's, it's, it gives you, it gives you pause, you know, it, it, it make, you make sure that like, you know, if you're a business owner and, and you've, you know, you've deducted that uh, last uh, mile of gas, you know, 
or something like that. <laughs> you know that you might not uh, you might not do anything even remotely questionable, even if it's a legitimate uh, sort of thing. And yeah. I I think that this you know Chris is right. This is the, the kind of thing that is it's a very intangible effect. And also this is why it is important to to see right. people like Bill Taylor coming forward because people in the diplomatic corps, in the FBI, in the intelligence community, even you know the USDA will see these people and say like, oh, this is why I got into public service is because right. I'm, I'm not here to serve one president. I'm here to serve the American people. Well, so, Professor Carter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the filibuster there. No, absolutely right. not. But, I mean, this really does more than ever turn Bill Barr into Donald Trump's puppet, doesn't it? Right. And I think, you I, know. As attorney general, I'm just here to do whatever my boss tells me to do. Right. And Even you, investigating my own Your department. own agencies, exactly. And I think this has been a sort of trope we've heard, right? Don't don't trust your own intelligence community, which I think is insane. Um, don't give these people who actually have been doing this, I think Chris is exactly right. These are career civil servants. These are This is their job. Their job is not to serve anybody, not partisan affiliate, right? Their job is to investigate matters of critical importance to the United States people. And when you have an administration that is kind of riding roughshod over that and saying, no, your job is to make sure our guy looks good, right? To make sure there are no questions raised, that none of this critical information comes to the fore. I mean, that's really disturbing. We should all be bothered by this, not just because these are sort of regular sort of rank and file people in the agency, but that's what the agency's job is to be a stopgap, right? Um, and to serve the people, not a party affiliation, not an ideology, but the people. And I think this administration has sort of chipped away at the, the the professionalism of those in the intelligence and other communities since they've been in office and I think it's unprecedented in the in the ways yeah. in which this has mm -hmm. happened and I think this is a really insidious um, abuse of, of these agencies so um, I want to get to 2020 but there are a couple of other quick topics like to get a quick comment on um, none of us I think around the table are necessarily foreign policy experts but does anybody see what the situation is today in northern Syria as a big victory for the United States? What are we winning? <laughs> it, it To me, I mean, it, it is... Um, so just we, just yeah. so we know, right, the territory right. held We've, by the Kurds with a backup of the United States right. is now held by the, the Turks and the Russians. Right. It, it, at a very minimum, you would think that our investment in Syria... To, to help the Kurds was so minimal. You, it, it's it's hard to think of it that as anything but the way that you would want to conduct things. Um, I mean, the, the the number of people, you know, that we had deployed to that area just to make sure that Turkey knew you can't come in here and mess with the Kurds was minimal compared to what we stationed, you know, the people stationed in, like, say, the demilitarized yeah. zone or mm -hmm. something like that. So in, in Korea. So, it, you know, th this is um, absurd to think that, we had such a low cost for keeping the peace there and also for keeping our influence. And we've basically said, like, no, Russia, you're going to look like America now. You're going to look like the people who are smart and controlling everything with a minimal cost. But it's even with really, that minimal a, cost, yeah. Chris, I'm sorry, we were there and we were yeah. and we were and the Kurds were the front lines. We were backing them up and then we just walked away from them. What happens to nobody's talking about? Where do they go now? What happens to them? Now, I mean, if you just rewind the clock two weeks, and we really are only two weeks into yeah, this right, right now, I mean, and look at where we were. I mean, essentially, Turkey has gotten everything they wanted. They've now controlled the area that they wanted uh, in Syria. 
Uh, you have greater Russian influence. You've got the Kurds who really have nowhere to go. Um, although, you know, Trump keeps, you know, saying that they yeah. love this um, this outcome. Uh, and then you've got a president who claims that he's bringing troops home, although it's actually unclear as to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's first saying they're going to Iraq. Um, now he's saying, well, now some may stay in Syria. And there's new reports out this morning that they may be sending more weapons into Syria. So it's not even clear if that was his only goal to bring troops home, whether he's even accomplished that goal right now. No. Right. Yeah. Well, and the troops are going to Saudi Arabia, too, right. because Saudi Arabia is paying for them. And I would say, I mean, if your if your victory is dispossession, then he is right on target because <laughs> we've seen this in the southern border. We've seen it in, in now with the with the Kurds. And I think, you know, what we can't forget, this is a real human cost. Right. Two hundred thousand people are displaced now, many of them children. And I think we have to always keep that at the front of our minds because mm-hmm. this isn't just about, oh, you know, playing footsies with the Turks and and the Russians. This is real people's lives. So one thing you did not hear about on the news or read in the papers, probably, but you will hear on the uh, Bill Press Roundtable podcast is that the State Department this week issued a report that they had concluded their two-year investigation, three-year investigation of Hillary Clinton's then Secretary of State's use of emails, and they concluded, quote, there was no deliberate mishandling of classified information. Well, Jason, I guess Donald Trump won't be talking about this anymore. I actually, I wouldn't go that far, Bill. I, I, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that we've heard the last about her emails. Uh, I think that this is this is maybe just the beginning. It depends on what, uh, what it, tests well about, among the audiences at the rallies. Because, you know, like MAGA, yeah. you got to say, MAGA still it sounds better than CAG, uh, Keep America Great. So they're probably, yeah. get, this is why you see this confusion of going back to Make America Great. And lock him up versus lock her up. Like, lock her up is just, it just plays better. I mean, like people are like, yeah, let's lock Hunter Biden up, but let's let's get the like the chance of lock her up better. I I feel better about that one. So, Chris, four years now and nothing there. Right. And 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 I have to be careful since my good friend Jason is part of the media uh, and, and, and how the media covers this, I think it's important. Let, let's remember the weekend before Election Day where the New York Times above the fold, you know, put the banner headline about the email investigation. Uh, now, admittedly, the story came out last Friday night very late, but I think in, this, in their papers that actually ran it in the New York Times, I think it was A7, uh, and, and I actually counted this. There are 15 paragraphs in that story. Paragraph 15 mentions that, oh, by the way, Ivanka, Jared, and the diplomats involved in, in this whole Ukraine mess have also used their private emails mm-hmm. and WhatsApp yeah. um, system. So, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know where Hillary Clinton goes to get a reputation back to quote uh, a famous yeah. old politician. Absolutely. Right. So let's talk a little about 2020. I was struck this morning to see uh, yesterday, actually, uh, in the latest two polls, um, CNN has Joe Biden up in Iowa by 15 points and Quinnipiac has Elizabeth Warren up in Iowa by seven points. What's going on here? I mean, it just depends on you. You talk a lot about polls. Yeah, well, it just depends on who you're polling, when. I mean, I think we're still really early, so I wouldn't put as much stock. Um, I think we're going to have to see some of these early primaries play out and see um, what this does. But like you said, between it depends on which day, what poll you read. It's either Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden, and I think. <sighs> That will probably stay the case for a while into the new year. But I mean, at this point, I think it's hard to to really think about the poll because there's so many things you need to know. Like, I, what's the margin of error? Yeah. Right? And by the way, th- those are national polls. I <laughs> right. should have not not uh, not just uh, Iowa polls. But, right. But it does look like that Joe Biden seems to be holding pretty steady. 
Jason? It, it does seem that way, but uh, again, it's, it is, it does, it doesn't feel early to us, right? Because we, this is what we live and breathe. Yeah. I mean, we love right. politics. Oh. We love covering it. We're, you know, we're political figures who live in Washington or study, you know, politics. And so for us, this has been, I mean, uh, four or five years of just nonstop, you know, drinking from a, a, a you know, a hose. Um, I mean, Joe Biden still has that name recognition. I mean, he is, he is still like thought of warmly among people in the base. Um, you know, we, we had a, I, I think some people did remember that Tim Ryan was still running up until yesterday, but like, you know, we're, we're starting to see as we get a little closer to the Iowa caucuses that people are, are the, the herd is thinning a little bit. Tim Ryan, you know, was mm-hmm. never able to break through, mm-hmm. uh, people like Amy Klobuchar think that they are on the cusp of something. I mean, whether that's, you know, we'll see, uh, on, on that, but it just seems that they're. Where people are beginning to tune into what their options are, and this is going to be a state by state, you know, uh, you know, series of contests. I don't think the, I, I I would be surprised if we get to the convention and it's decided. Yeah. Uh-huh. If I could, just, how do you read it, uh, Chris? Yeah, I, is this as fluid as it seems, or what? Yes, and um, you know, Democrats have always looked at Iowa as having great predictive value, and I think in 04, 08, and sixteen, the Iowa winners have gone on to win the nomination. Go back and look at the Republican side. The last three winners were yeah. Ted Cruz, yeah. Rick Santorum, and Mike Huckabee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with Jason. I think this is going to go on for a while, and I think uh, it's really going to favor the people that actually can build out the big ground game and actually have the money. Because if you look at past those first four early states, boy, those Super Tuesday races come fast, yes. and you've got big, big states that are going to cost money to compete in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, California among them mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. Texas. Uh, in March, Texas, <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, yeah. I think also, too, I mean, the, the 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 longevity part of this is part of it. But then, like you said, we think about these polls differently than everybody else, right? So what are these people going to do? So, yeah, Joe Biden may be a front runner in some poll, but have they reached out to me? Have they done anything to motivate people, right? I mean, this is what people are saying in a poll, but what people do on Election Day, I think it's going to be important. So maybe the story they got the most attention this week 2020 wise was Jonathan Martin's story in the New York Times saying there were a lot of Democrats um uh, just get your final comments on this but a lot of Democrats who look at the field who look at that all of the, the candidates on stage uh in Columbus Ohio at the last debate and say isn't there anybody else uh, is this are we limited to these choices and the the names that people were talking about were Eric Hol- among others that I remember Eric Holder Michael Bloomberg, Sherrod Brown, Hillary Clinton. Hmm. Um, anybody else likely to jump in? Terry McAuliffe. I don't think no? so. It, it's such no? a colossal undertaking. I mean, <laughs> the, the money, you know, the presence. I mean, you kind of put your life on hold. I mean, you know, Pete Buttigieg has this incredible staffing in the early primary states that he spent years building. Same thing with Cory Booker. I mean, and these are people who are like sort of mired in in like the lower, you mm-hmm. know, polling, you know, numbers. And they have incredible ground games. Uh, it is such a colossal uh, investment in time and money. It's I mean, I'm, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe Sherrod Brown, you know, has a, uh, you know, a regret that he didn't jump in. But at this, it, it's just, it's such a big commitment. It's hard to see anybody else jumping in. Yeah. I'm not running, Chris. Is, that, <laughs> uh, is anybody else? I, I don't think so. I, I see this as the, you know, perennial hand-wringing bedwetting of Democrats. You could find the same story every election cycle. <laughs> And Democrats are good at it. Yes, and the uh, cycle is getting longer and longer. Right. Yeah, sadly. Right. <laughs> right. All right. A great conversation and uh, time for uh, 
my favorite part of the round table always, which is uh, your favorite story of the week. Doesn't have to be serious, as I always say. Something that just caught your attention that you thought was either funny or serious or worth taking a minute to reflect on. You want to start us off, Jason? Yes, and this will be. Uh, th- this may sound more flip uh, than, than <laughs> it is. Good, uh, it, it, but it, but it's not meant uh, oh, to okay. be. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's it's serious, but it's also kind of uh, salacious too. The you know we have our first bona fide sex scandal of this Congress uh, with Katie mm. Hill. She's a, a Democrat yes. uh, who uh, knocked off a longtime Republican in the Los Angeles area, Steve Knight. Uh, she is, by all accounts, a very serious lawmaker. Uh, she is, is one of the, the, the people who um, the particularly Democratic leadership saw as like, this is a serious person who, you know, is an example of how we have broadened our caucus. Um, you know, about a week, week and a half ago, it started popping up like, you know, these sort of rumors on, on some conservative blogs about that she was in a, uh, a, a word I hadn't heard before, a thruple, uh, <laughs> but, uh, a threesome with her husband who was estranged and, and it sort of finally made its way into the mainstream. And it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's just like this, um, it, it's a reminder that these, humans are still people of weakness. Uh, you know, we all have our weaknesses. And even though we think we're, we, well, we are in a very different environment, different, different life, you know, with digital technology, I mean, we're, a lot of us are having trouble keeping up, but it's still some of the same old storylines that like, you know, the Greeks were fascinated with. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's a sad thing and it's unfolding and it's kind of scurrilous and weird, but it's, but it's a sex scandal. I mean, just like, like there, we've had them for centuries. Uh, and she and others claim that she also could be a victim of revenge porn. Right. And uh, the matter's been referred to the House Ethics Committee, and that's where it stands right now. Uh, how about a good reminder? We've got the reminder, Chris. So a little bit of a shameless plug, and then the story. Oh, um, all a, right. A good, a good friend of mine, Melissa Rogers, who headed up the faith-based office at the White House, has just written a book called Faith in American Life. And, you know, where we are at this moment in terms of different faiths, and um, she had a book event yesterday, and somebody asked her, well, you know, given the way that uh, religious minorities have been treated in the United States, what gives you faith, so to speak? And she gave the example of this wonderful viral video. I don't know if all of you have seen this. Um, it's of a soccer match between two women teams in Jordan, and one of the teams um, has a, 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 a player with a hijab. And as the game is going on, her hijab gets a little out of, um, it's, it's not on correctly, and her hair is being exposed. The other team pauses the game for 30 seconds, huddles around her so she could adjust her hijab, and then when she fixes it, they go back and resume the game. And that was the example wow. Melissa gave wow. as to um, why we all should have faith that we can get past this moment. We should uh, we should try to get Melissa Rogers. You can connect us as a will, guest on the, uh, on the podcast. I'd love to talk to her. Nambi? Um, well, I mean, I guess this is not as fun. So one was Simone Biles throwing out the first pitch this week. I thought it was amazing. Um, but I also did want to acknowledge that Representative um, Elijah Cummings is a son of Howard University in the Department of Political Science, mm. uh, was a graduate yes. of that university in 1973 and was a great student leader there as well. So if, if it's anything, um, it's encouraging people to to think about Howard University and think about where um, uh, you want to think about sending your children because we produce great leaders like Kamala Harris and others. So I just wanted to um, promote that. I think today. that's very appropriate. I've forgotten uh, Congressman Cummings' yes. connection to uh, Harvard. He's a student partner. Uh, and my uh, favorite story is a little silly, too, but um, don't blame me. Blame Donald Trump. <laughs> the word that they have canceled the subscriptions at the White House to the New York Times 
and the Washington Post, not only at the White House, but they are ordering, uh, preparing orders for all federal agencies and departments, as if this is illegal, to cancel their subscriptions. So at no federal agency in the entire country will the Washington Post or New York Times be delivered, uh, according to Donald Trump, as soon as they issue this order. But the White House did point out that Donald Trump will continue to read the New York Times and the Washington Post because in this area, as in all other areas, he is above the law. But, you know, just stop and think, does this mean the news is going to stop because the White House doesn't get the New York Times? Uh, hardly. I, I somehow doubt it. <laughs> uh, they did say, though, they were going to continue their subscription to Roll Call. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was appropriate. Uh, thank you, Jason Dick. Thank you, Nambi Carter. Thank, thank you, Chris Liu. Uh, and a quick parting shot from me, which I uh, always hasten to add is not is, are my views only, not necessarily views of the panel. But as we discussed a little bit earlier on the impeachment inqu inquiry this week, there was theatrics and there was substance. The theatrics occurred when a couple dozen showboat members of Congress stormed the secure room where testimony was about to be given by a deputy secretary of defense. We Republicans are being shut out of this process, they told reporters, which is nothing but a big fat lie. In fact, all members of the House Intelligence, Judiciary, and Oversight Committees, including 45 Republicans, participate in those hearings, and all members, including those 45 Republicans, are allowed to question witnesses. But notice not one of those two dozen members spoke up to defend Donald Trump's call to the president of Ukraine because they simply can't, especially not what happened on substance this week with the testimony of career diplomat William Taylor. He's no Democratic operative. He's Donald Trump's ambassador to the Ukraine, recruited by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And Taylor testified that he was told directly that under orders from the president, military aid to Ukraine was being withheld until Ukraine agreed to investigate Joe Biden. In other words, there was, in fact, a quid pro quo, military aid for political dirt. Taylor's testimony was a game changer from which Donald Trump can never recover. As Republican Congressman Francis Rooney said, after that, it's game, set, match. Donald Trump will be impeached. It's no longer a question of if, but of when. And that's my parting shot. That's our uh, podcast. That's our roundtable for today. Again, the MB Carter, thanks for joining us. Good to have you here. Get you back. Uh, and uh, Jason Dick, good to see you again. And Chris Lou, thank you much for joining us. Thank you all for listening. And uh, please, again, if you haven't already done so, uh, check out uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. And if you really want to put a smile on our face, give us a great big five-star rating. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at uh, BillPressPods.com. Uh, that way you'll be uh, getting an alert every time a new podcast is available. Meanwhile, stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>